This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today is Thursday, September 1st. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, the Athletic Zone, Mike Sando. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well, Robert. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to another season, my 25th covering the NFL. How about that? That is wild. Congratulations. <laughs> That's an incredible accomplishment, and you have kicked ass all the way through. So, Well, you know, I'm one of the few guys who can say I was, I was uh, around this stuff before Tom Brady was, you know, and we're going to talk <laughs> about him and the Buccaneers today. So I remember uh, covering him in his first Super Bowl and uh, calling Steve Hutchinson, who was, I believe, a young guard on the Seahawks who I was covering then to ask him all about Tom. Remember that? Hey, what's this Brady guy? So it's been, it's been a couple years. It's a great segue. We're doing the NFC South today. A couple teams that I find very interesting. A couple teams that we're going to have to muster up some enthusiasm for as we get to the end of the show, but that's okay. And let's start with, with those Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We've been kicking off all of these conversations just with a general vibe check about how we're feeling with these teams. And I want to kick this to you as it relates to the Bucs. How are we feeling about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here as we get into September? Okay, at the risk of letting all the storylines and preseason and all this kind of overwhelm us, right? Sometimes we're better just stepping back and looking at what, looking at it from ten thousand feet. But I'm wondering if the band just tried to stay together one year too long here. And now I would do the same thing. I don't think they should have done anything differently. They they did what they what I would do, but it just doesn't have the same feeling to me. And I think seeing you know some of the issues on the offensive line, the weirdness of the Brady thing, retires, comes back, misses camp. They got Julio Jones on their roster for crying out loud. You know, it just Gronk is done. It just, I don't know. This feels like uh, I think they'll be good, but I'm not as optimistic for like going to the Super Bowl. I think you have to do it this way if Brady's coming back. I mean, the timing of it all, Ryan Jensen re-signed, I think the yeah. day Brady announced that he was coming back. It felt like all this stuff was kind of interconnected. They re-signed Carlton Davis. They re-signed Chris Godwin. They brought all of these guys back and pushed a ton of money into future years to do it, to keep that band together for one more year. But I'm I kind of with you in the sense that I just think I feel weird about them right now. It's been such yeah. an odd month in Tampa. I mean, think about all the stuff that's gone down over the last month or so. Brady just disappears. For two weeks. <laughs> Come on. And, yeah. And we don't know why. And I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. I reached out to a couple players just to ask them, like, if this if this happened in your locker room, would it matter? And the response I got was, eh, you know, he's been there for several years. You know, there are guys on the franchise tag that miss entire training camps. It'll probably be fine. But it's not great. It's not the note on which you want to start a season. And then you have the offensive line injuries. I mean, now it's we're getting to second and third guys on the line. Ryan Jensen's done. Aaron Stinney now goes down. So now you have Luke Gadecki, the rookie, likely at left guard. You have Robert Hainsey, who played 31 snaps last year as your starting center. I think they'll get healthy at receiver. But you combine all of this stuff that's happening on offense with this fact that they're bringing in a new head coach. I know it's continuity. I know he was on the staff last year. But there's yeah. just a lot of change. And I, I think yeah. that the NFC is so wide open that – Part of me wants us to say, whatever, they're still the best roster in the NFC, because I think they absolutely have an argument for it, but I'm just getting yeah. like strange vibes coming off everything that's happening there. Yeah. There's kind of a mis there's a there's a mystery around them where we know we don't know the whole story. And the whole yes. story may may not be bad. It may not be fatal. It may not disqualify them in any way, but it leads our minds to kind of 
fill in the blanks with, uh, oh, I wonder if it could be bad. You know, I wonder, I wonder, is break, you know, sometimes when you start talking about retirement, right? I mean, that there's, a, there's an adage about that, right? Once you start talking about retirement, I don't know if it's true, but look, he, Brady's got one foot part of his mind out the door, doesn't he? And he's always been the most committed guy. Now, the missing of camp and stuff isn't, uh, I wouldn't say that by itself, okay? I think that happens, like you said. I would never question Tom Brady's commitment in a million years, except that he said, you know, I'm going to retire. They're, you know, he's right at the end here, and they've kind of done – they can't top what they've already done. They won the Super Bowl in his first year. So um, it doesn't feel quite right to me. And then you throw in some of those things we're talking about with the offensive line – uh, a coaching transition, which doesn't overly concern me because Todd Bowles has been there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and whatever. I'm fine with that. I don't think there's like a big drop off or anything to Todd Bowles from, from Bruce Arians, but there's just like a lot of unexplained. And then some of the stuff that we do know is a little bit, a little bit concerning, but they are in the NFC. So that was going to be my next question. They can go win it all. They can go win it all. Is there a team there. in the NFC that you think has better players on it right now? Than the Bucks, probably not. If we did the exercise, you know, I I kind of like Green Bay better. A little bit. I'm a little bit on Green Bay now. I'm, I have some worries about Green Bay too. I mean, the weapons and all of that. But, um, yeah, no. I mean, I'm not going to say there is. I'm not going to say that there is. So they're probably still the team to beat. They're the team to beat on paper. The players, top to bottom, your top 22 starters or 25, however you want to do it on offense and defense, I still think they have the best group of players. It's a matter of whether or not that weirdness creeps in in a way that we're not fully appreciating. So, Because week one, they could win by 30, and then we're like, okay, uh, all that offseason narrative's gone. Could totally happen. So let's get to the offense, and I want to ask you, what is the biggest question that you have about their offense heading into the season? Well, it's clearly the interior of the offensive line to me because it's the one way to get to almost any quarterback, but especially Brady. Brady's been so difficult to rattle and get to. But you remember some of those starts of the season a few years ago in New England where they didn't have the middle of the line solidified and it affected him. I think he's uh, certainly at a stage of his career where, you know, it's going to be harder to recover from stuff. He doesn't want to take the beating. He, He looks skinny, doesn't he? I mean, I'm wondering if he's transitioning to be a supermodel. He sure looks something. Yeah. He doesn't look right or something. Maybe he looks right. Maybe he looks too good. I mean, I'd like to look like Tom Brady. Don't get me wrong. But but I just have a little bit of a worry. I'm sure you've got the budget, Mike. (laughs) I definitely don't have the budget. But but he doesn't look like he's built to stand in there if the inside of his offensive line is collapsing, which which it's going to. It's going to at certain times. They may... They may be better than we're hoped for, but there's going to be games and plays where it blows up in Tom Brady's face right away, and he t- and he gets hit more than he probably has been. It's not just that they're losing a starting center. They're losing arguably the best center in the entire NFL and certainly a top three player at the position. And what Brian Jensen could do to kind of get everybody on the same page with that position group, all of that, really important to who they've been over the last couple of years. Brady mitigates some of that. And look at that, some of the numbers here. I mean, absolutely crazy what he can do for an offensive line. Fewest sacks taken in the entire league last year, despite finishing 11th in the league in air yards per target. There were three guys last year who had a time to throw below two and a half seconds. 
the other two guys outside of Tom Brady finished 29th and 30th in average depth of target out of 31 quarterbacks. <laughs> wow. So what he is doing in terms of pushing the ball down the field and doing it quickly, no one else in the league is doing. So I think that's part of what allows them to operate and will hopefully yeah. yep. help mitigate some of the offensive line injuries. But it's still not the group that it's been over the last couple of years. He can definitely do that better than most. I think Ryan Jensen's also a tone setter. You know, we can't find totally. a stat for that, but I just I love offensive linemen like that. I wish they're, we they're could sort of, though. Yeah, they're sort of like the guys that you love them when they're on your team and you hate them when they're in the other team. You know, I I grew up following the Raiders. Steve Wisniewski was there. Man, he was after the pile. He was this that. You hated him if you were on the Chiefs, but if you were following the Raiders like I was, that was your guy. And I feel like Jensen embodies that. I think there's something to that on the line. If you notice, like. Uh, you know, Andy Reid prioritized having a John Runyon, right? Which led John, which led Brad Childers, his protege, to say, "I want Steve Hutchinson." Right? I mean, there's there's something to having that guy in your team when you have him. You don't have to have him, but when you have him and he leaves, you lose something. I, I appreciate that because I was that guy. So I, I love those <laughs> sorts of players. I this is I'm not sure if I told this story ever on the podcast yeah. before. I, I'm sure I have at some point over the years. But when I was a, an intern at the Boston Globe in 2010. The left tackle at Boston College was a Rhodes Scholar candidate named Anthony Costanzo. Oh, yeah. And I was getting to the end of my internship at the Globe, and I wanted to write about him, in part because we grew up one town over from one another. So he was from Lake Zurich, Illinois. I was from Barrington. We used to play against each other in youth sports all the time. Nice. Eighth grade, eighth grade basketball and whatever for years. And I think that he knew who I was when we were doing the story. And we got to the end of the day after the interviews had been done and the recorder was off. And he's like, I I didn't want to say this when we were actually talking, but I used to fucking hate you. (laughs) And and that's a badge of honor. I I was I was so proud of that moment. That's huge. It was I was so proud of that, and that's why I appreciate the the likes of Ryan Jensen and players like him. Was that mostly on the basketball court, or did you? It was all on the basketball court. It was always I was all on the basketball court, but my my basketball vibe extended to my football playing. You know, my my oldest son was like that too. You know, I remember one time we were sitting in the stands and he couldn't have been past eighth grade, and and we heard the, you know the uh, the mom on the other team doesn't know that we're sitting right there, and she goes, "That boy is just going to hurt somebody out here." You know, and I, we we kind of looked at each other like, "Yeah, that's our boy." You know, he's he's not <laughs> he doesn't have the most refined game, but if there's a loose ball, you're going to be in a fight for it. You know, and there's something about that on your team. <laughs> Outside of the offensive line, I think that the other question about health is with the receivers. When are guys going to oh, get yeah. back? How fast is Godwin on the field? The fact that he didn't go on pop or IR or anything like that, I think gives you some optimism that it's going to be pretty quick. I'm wondering when this all shakes out, what does the offensive personnel ultimately look like? This is a team that finished seventh in the league in 11 personnel usage last year, 66%. Does that number go up with Russell Gage and Julio Jones there now? And Gronk getting replaced by Kate Otten and Kyle Rudolph, does it say the same? They did keep four tight ends. So what the best 11 consistently looks like for them, I think, is one other question I have heading into this year. And is there a strategy to, uh, to the season of making sure everyone's ready for the playoffs? You know, mm-hmm. I remember when I used to cover, uh, maybe I was covering the NFC West, uh, and Pete Carroll was really big on like those defensive line rotation. Like, why isn't Michael Bennett playing more? Cause he has a plan to have him ready at the end of the year, you know? Yeah. And, and so his percentage of snaps was lower. And when you have a team like this that is not only able to win it, uh, but should be a pretty heavy favorite in this division. I don't know if you take those things into account and say, we have to make sure we're ready at the right time of year. Cause we have the guys. 
So can you get through until then, right? Maybe they can. Maybe they'll be fine and, and they can do that. But I do agree with you that those that group, like Godwin, could be better the second half of the year. You know, and, and that's when you need them. If the personnel sorts itself out, looking at all the numbers with this offense last year, it's crazy how good they were and how good they were at everything. Okay, the first in the league in rushing success rate, fifth in EPA per rush, fifth in EPA per drop back. Talked about the sacks. They were 10th in the amount of wide receiver screens they used last year, and they were 7th in EPA per drop back on those plays. Every little piece of who they've been offensively over the last couple seasons, and especially last year when I think Leftwich really clicked in after coming to understand Brady late in their first season together. It's hard not to get excited about that. It's just this kind of looming cloud of strangeness is the only reason yeah. that I'm not full steam ahead with this group. I had to remind myself, hey, uh, Tom Brady last year led the league in past completions, past attempts, past touchdowns. Yeah, you can go through the whole thing. I mean, he had a prolific season, statistically one of the, the he best. He could have been the MVP easily. Maybe should have been, you know, and uh, here we are like questioning him, you know, he's probably going to do it again. I mean, there's absolutely a world where they just have a top three offense, even with some of the questions at receiver, even as they're resting guys, even as they're trying to keep guys fresh, and they just roll through this division. And every ounce of doubt we had today and over the last couple of weeks just make us look like morons. Yeah, actually, I think we have to bring these things up, though. I mean, you know, we, yes. we are giving it we are giving it respect. I mean, I think if I think for a lot of other people that didn't have Brady's pedigree and all that, we'd be, you know, but we've learned. <laughs> we've learned not to talk about Brady declining. All right, and that's another thing. We have to mention it. I know it's, again, it would make me look silly potentially. Tom Brady is 45 years old. There is a chance that the cliff comes for Tom Brady. I don't think it will. I will never predict it. He could be 58 years old, and it could be September 1st. I'm like, I don't know, man. It feels like Brady's still got it. I will never definitively say this is the time, but it's always potentially around the corner when you have a guy creeping into his mid-40s. He, at this, he's always closer to it than he's ever been before. So, and it will happen at a certain time. And part of me, in the back of my mind, wonders when I talked about band together and all of that. To you know, one year too long. Is this sort of the year? And is are the markers all there that geez, he was going to consider retiring or whatever he was going to do? The Dolphins thing was in there, but you know, it feels like he's ready to go. You can't you can't imagine him playing another year after this, can you? No, I don't think so. I mean, the, all the signals are that this is it, and really. It was a tough decision almost to decide to do it. And it's kind of a burden on him to do it. Doesn't it, doesn't it feel like all this stuff's putting him out a little bit? Like, ah, I got to go to practice. I, I mean, know. all the man wants to do is eat a tomato, and he just can't do it, and he's getting distracted by it now. <laughs> it's right. So book him for the Super Bowl Bucks fans. <laughs> all of the things about Tom Brady's diet and his lifestyle, I can get on board with a ton of them. They've clearly worked for him. I cannot imagine my day-to-day existence without eating tomatoes. I truly cannot. And I have an undying amount of respect for him. I assume he has eaten a tomato. And the fact that he's done it in the past, stopped doing it, and has the discipline to never go back to it is remarkable. I, what if all this stuff was made up? And what if all this stuff was made up and he didn't really follow all this protocol and he's just, just to get in people's minds? He should come out with a wilder one every year. Hey, I don't, uh, you know. I go five minutes straight without breathing sometimes during the day just to get myself going. What would people believe? What? Where's the line to where you wouldn't believe it? Rogers would do that. Rogers would do that just to <laughs> screw with people. He absolutely would. I'm not sure that Brady would, though. All right. 
Let's get to the defense here. What's the biggest question you've got about the Bucks defense heading into the year? It's a pretty good defense. Um, depth at inside linebacker could be one. Pretty big cliff after a couple guys who've been around for a long time and Devin White and Levante David. I mean, is that, does that count as one? I cheated a little bit. I, I didn't have one initially. I called Greg Allman, who covers the Bucks first. I'm like, oh. I don't have a great, huge, big concern on the defense. That was his, and and I had it kind of written down. Um, do you have a better one? Just corner depth, and partially driven by them losing corners over the last couple of years for stretches. Sean Murphy Bunting was hurt last season. Carlton Davis was hurt last season. Jamel Dean has been in and out of the lineup over the last couple of years. They don't really have anyone proven behind those guys. So that would be a question for me. And then the other thing is that Greg specifically wrote that they were using Antoine Winfield a lot in three safety looks and nickel packages with him playing the nickel back and trying to marginalize Sean Murphy Bunting's role in the defense because he's been a little bit up and down. Totally understand that. But then they cut Logan Ryan. <laughs> he's back yeah. on the team now. After some movement, he's now back on the roster. But the fact that they were even willing to do that, it's like, is he just penciled in as that third safety if they're willing to cut him? On August 31st. So how that ultimately shakes out with the roles and how they want to figure out those 3DB looks in certain situations, that's one question that I have personnel-wise. Yeah, and they must have worked that out ahead of time. I'd have to uh, assume think, so. You know, and, and have a good understanding, mature player, right? And, hey, here's what we're doing. Uh, work with us here. We'll take care of you in this way and, or whatever. And no, he wasn't going to go to someone else. So. He's a vested veteran, so not subject to waivers. So I think there's yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. You know, it's the, a little bit easier there. That makes sense. If there's trust, you know, they could have done that and said, hey, just bear with us. We'll get you back and you're in our plans, you know. Other than that, though, I mean, I, I have I assume they're going to be a good unit. I, I love the way this defense is coordinated. One of the funkier defenses in the entire league. They led the league in early down blitz rate. They're like 50-50 man and zone pressures on third down, but they ran zone coverage on 62% of their third down plays, which was the fourth most in the league. They're top five in cover two snaps last year. They had nearly twice as many snaps of two man as any team in the entire league. Like If you look at their smattering of coverages, which I can do very easily because you made a plug-in in True Media and I love you for it. When you look at that, they just have such an interesting kind of distribution of the way that they want to play on the back end. And when you combine that with all of the pressures that they bring and how their personnel works, it's one of the more interesting groups in the entire NFL. And I, I do think that they'll be pretty good again if they can stay healthy on the back end. I would think so too. I don't see a big issue. You know, certainly they could have some injuries, but anybody could. It's not something I'm anticipating other than, like I said, at inside linebacker where there's a little age with the Levante David and what's behind the him, uh, you know, could be unproven. I think it's worth pointing out some of the moving pieces up front. You know, JPP steps away. You have Joe Try and Shoinka now stepping into a starting role full time. They signed Carl Nassib to be a rotational edge player for them. They don't have a ton of depth at that spot. Logan Hall, their second round pick, theoretically steps in as a rotational piece on the interior with Vitave and Akeem Hicks starting. So new faces there and players in different spots in the prominence of their defensive roster. But I think ultimately it's going to shake out just fine. Yep. Agreed. Got to be a strength of the team, which will help them with what do they have to get through on offense. All right. What does a successful season look like for the 2022 Bucks? Uh, they win the division and and uh, win a playoff game. Maybe it's getting to the championship game. Maybe that's what it is. Just get to the championship game. That's a successful season for me for what their expectations are. How about you? Super Bowl or bust? It, if they don't win the Super Bowl, I think I don't think it can be considered a success. Tom Brady has a $35 billion dead cap hit next year. 
Yeah. Like they yeah. they went all in to do it this year, and I understand that that's a tough needle to thread, but when you're playing yeah. the game that they're playing, that's the goal. And if you don't reach that, then I don't think you can consider it a successful year. I, I agree that that will be their standard for it. I think having one in the bank already, though, takes away some of the, the leverage of it, like the feeling of it. I mean, I think at this point, we're wondering if something if everything's all right. So to me, if they prove us wrong... Uh, and they really are a good team. They get to the championship game to me. That shows, hey, you know what? If you're in the championship round, you're a good team. You're one of the final four teams in the league, and and that's what we think they are now. That's what we think they can be at their best, whether they get to the Super Bowl or not. The Tom Brady era in Tampa is a success. Done. It, oh, chisel it into one. rock. It's it's just, it is a success. This season specifically, yes. I think, will only be a success if they win another one. That's yeah. the way that I'm viewing it. All right. Yeah. The player on the Bucks you're most excited to watch this year? Well, they do have a rookie running back in Rashad White that I, I don't know how much uh, run he's going to get, uh, but Leonard Fournette reported to camp a couple of pounds heavier than a normal weight for a running back. And uh, You've been in Tampa in August. I'm sure he's already lost that weight. It's <laughs> a good amount of weight. I mean, he's playing like a tight end, <laughs> um, which is another one of those things in the back of my mind. I mean, another veteran player there. But uh, yeah, is it, you know, I went and watched some of uh, Rashad White, not just in college, but just in preseason. There wasn't a ton. I was looking to see if he's going to be good enough in pass protection. I think he only had three or four reps of it, but was willing, looked decent to me. Uh, I think he's a potentially exciting player who catch the ball decently. Uh, but you know, I don't know that I had had a newcomer or somebody that I I'm not going to say Julio Jones. How about you? I want to see what Akeem Hicks still has in the tank. I love uh, watching Akeem Hicks in uh, Chicago, Chicago for all those years. He's a fun player when he's healthy. So if Akeem Hicks has kind of one last gasp as a player on a really good team, I think I'll enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, he's certainly in the type of environment where you could, right? When you get to a point that deep in your career and you've been a really good player, um, this is the type of environment where they can get the best out of you, kind of like a Rams type situation. I love the bets they made with the little financial flexibility they had for outside guys. They spent so much on their own in-house free agents this offseason. It's not like they could really go out and make any splashy signings. But Logan Ryan and Akeem Hicks and just trying to figure out, all right, how can we get incrementally better at these spot this these spots, bring in yeah. some veterans. I think all of it made sense. I think Jason Light's done a really good job over the last three or four years. Obviously they won a Super Bowl, so I'm not saying anything nobody knows, but I really do think that they've done a fantastic job building this roster. They absolutely have, you know, and obviously having Brady there really helps that. But um, once you once you got him, what what better of a job could you do around him than what they've done, right? I, I think that's just been really great, really great job. And you don't not you don't always get that chance to do that with a to, to get a player like that. But they certainly didn't blow it. All right, let's get to the New Orleans Saints. How you feeling about the New Orleans Saints here on September first? Yeah, you know. I have to get over the fact that I didn't really understand, like a lot of people didn't, how they viewed themselves through the offseason process and the draft and kind of continuing to mortgage a little bit and putting it all together to be their absolute best team um, this year. That wasn't necessarily where I felt they were at. And then it's not like they put a young quarterback on the roster. They have Andy Dalton as their backup quarterback. Like, oh, man, if something happens to Jameis, we want to be exactly as good. You know, we want to still get seven, eight wins. Whatever they're going to get, nine wins, maybe it's ten. Um, so I don't feel great about that, but I understand too, that it's really easy from the outside to say you should be taking a bigger picture, uh, look and bite the bullet a little bit. They're competing. 
and they're trying to have the best team they can. And I think for what they have at quarterback, they've done a decent job. They obviously own Tampa Bay defensively. I mean, they, they win those games. So they're the only team in this division that can say we might win one or two games um, against Tampa Bay this year. And then who knows what else in the division. So I think they can be on the fringes of the playoffs. And in the NFC, they probably make the playoffs. It seems like they looked around this spring as they were trying to figure out what the next steps would look like. They looked at the teams in the NFC and the entire landscape and said, why not? Yeah. Like, Why not us? Based on the team that we have and some of the veterans we have in this building, are we closer to competing than we are to properly or logically tearing this down? And I understand how you get there. I mean, this is a defense we'll talk about in a bit that I love. I I think there are some questions to be answered about age and about players that they're replacing, all of that. But they've been really, really good on defense the last couple of years. On offense, it's just about being better than you were last year. And they have a lot of reasons to believe they'll be better than they were last year. Beyond Jameis Winston for seven games and getting him for close to the entire season, this is a team that finished 31st in adjusted games lost on offense last year. They're the second most injured offense in football. Only one of their offensive linemen played at least 1,000 snaps. Last year, all five offensive linemen for the Bucks played at least 1,000 snaps. <laughs> wow. They had their best combination played about 165 snaps together last year over the course of the entire season. Beyond that, the pass-catching group, you're going from Marquez Callaway and Deontay Harris – as your two best receivers, to potentially having Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Jarvis Landry as your starting three guys. I mean, the improvements they can make all over their offensive roster, plus getting Jameis for the entire season. I can understand talking yourself into this, where, all right, if we're a top three defense again, and we have a borderline top 12 offense with all of these reinforcements that we're bringing in, where does that bring us in the NFC? I think it brings you to the brink of a wild card spot. It does. There's two totally different playoff races this year. There's two, two totally different standards. Just stack the quarterbacks in each division. You could, if you feel good about Jameis or you feel good about Carson Wentz in the NFC, you could be like, yeah, we have the sixth best quarterback in the conference or whatever, right? And so it's a much lower bar to clear. So I do think that definitely had to have and probably should have played into their expectations. Let's just say Brady does hit the wall this year. And by the way, like I said, they've, they've owned them a little bit. So maybe there is a path for them and, and you feel like, why not us? So the upside of Jameis, if he comes back healthy, uh, with those pass catchers you mentioned, with a you know possibly a number one defense, not just you know not just a top ten defense, they're going to probably be a top five with pretty high probability, maybe the best defense in the league. Um, stranger things have happened. The one thing I will say, even if that happens, I think you can get to the end and say, now what? Okay, you, you got totally. a wild card spot, and congratulations. You you squeezed everything you could out of this year. You pushed all this money into future years. Football Outsiders Almanac, I love this stat. They have $296 million, the Saints do, in f- future guaranteed money allocated to non-quarterbacks. Only the Eagles have more. The Eagles have arguably the best roster in football. The Saints do not. So that's I can understand wanting to really maximize the short term, but in the long term, what does this end up doing for you? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. That's for the future Saints to figure out because that's how they operate at all times. And, and you know, I think we thought, well, you know, as long as Sean Payton and Drew Brees are there, you know, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to maximize this and prop that window up with whatever we have to put in there. Well, guess what? Those guys are gone and they're still doing it. 
and, and you know, Mickey Loomis isn't gone. And, <laughs> and here they are. So That know, brings I, me to my next question. Yeah. What is the biggest question you have about the New Orleans Saints offense in 2022? To me, it's Winston coming off of a torn ACL behind an offensive line with some question marks. Um, you know, let's say Winston makes it through the year. Is he going to be good, number one? I mean, we, we don't know how good. He had a career-low interception rate through seven games and had a, a career-low rate of turnover-worthy plays, according to the PFF. So I like that about him, but it wasn't a whole season. It was seven games. So they're trusting Winston's blind side, not to a rookie in Trevor Penning, to his backup. So I just have visions of Jameis Winston standing in the pocket and looking around a little bit too long, maybe not feeling it, and just blindside hit, balls out, scoop and score the other way, on top of potentially some of the risky plays that he makes anyway. Uh, now, maybe he's not going to make those anymore, but we have five or six years of him making them, and we have seven games of him not making them. So that combination of some O-line uncertainty, which was always a strength, the O-line was always usually a strength for Drew Brees. They had that line calibrated right for him to play with his specific style at his height. Those two things having question marks for um, the Saints in a post-Sean Payton world is concerning to me. And it's worked out like this a couple different times for the Saints over the last few years. The big moves they've made in the draft for specific players – the players have looked good when they've been on the field. Marcus Davenport being the best example. But he's been hurt a lot. And Trevor Penning looked great in the preseason, and now he's hurt. So you can easily, if you're a Saints fan, be like, oh, man, these are the right bets. These guys just can't stay healthy. Well, when you're giving up multiple assets for single players and they get hurt, this is what ends up happening. It's part of the risk associated with this strategy. Absolutely. You're, you're going all in on certain things. And then, you know, if you've ever been to a casino and – you. You know, how many times did were you sitting there with a blackjack and you got a 20 and the dealer's got a 16 and the dealer draws a, you know, draws the five, or, you know, or, or the dealer puts together a 10 card combination to get to 20 and push and that was your best hand and you were all in. And it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. It just, I was all in and it went bad and that can happen, has happened. And so I think that, that, that has to be the biggest concern. Do you have a different one? I have nothing but questions. I've got 10 questions that I have about the Saints offense. One, (laughs) how much gets lost moving from Sean Payton to Pete Carmichael? They are betting on continuity here. They're bringing back every member of their offensive staff, and the one guy that they're replacing is the offensive line coach, and they're replacing him with someone who's been on the staff before. They are keeping the band together on that side. What happens when you remove Sean Payton from that equation? I I truly have no idea. Maybe they'll still be okay. Maybe they'll still be a place where... They put their offensive players in really good situations and get the most out of them. Maybe they won't. I I truly don't know. If you could have protected one guy to not leave, though, it would have been him. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. So, I mean, it's a really cool experiment, honestly. When you have this offensive coach who oversees everything and has set the tone on that side of the ball and really has driven your success for so long combined with the quarterback, what happens when he leaves? Can you cobble it together with the entire staff that was underneath him? The answer may be yes, but I don't know. I'm going to say, I'm going to believe it when I see it. it would, wouldn't that be amazing if they were just even like a, a great offense? All of a sudden, I think Sean Payton would be going, hey, wait, I thought I was really important, <laughs> which he obviously was. I've got more. How much does Michael Thomas have in the tank? It, oh. I, we talked about it before. He's back. The receivers should theoretically be better. How much is he going to play? Is he going to play five games? Is he going to play 17 games? What's he going to look like when he plays? All questions that we have. Can this group keep Jameis Winston on the rails? 
Last year, Jameis Winston was seventh in the NFL in EPA per dropback in those first six and a half games that he played. All right? But they were, the Saints were 24th in neutral situation pass rate. They were running the ball a ton when he was the quarterback. If they have to open this thing up a little bit, or now he's playing for an entire season, what does that sample look like? So there are just a ton of questions I have about how this ultimately shakes out, even if the players are theoretically better and they should theoretically be healthier. It almost seems like Sean Payton stepped away two years ago. So much happened to me. It's like, oh, yeah, he was there last year because Breeze was gone. It just, uh, um, yeah. All right. Biggest question about the defense. Um, I love the defense. I think, you know, I I guess I want to see Marcus Davenport play all the games. Um, You know, he's played well, uh, but he's played 11 games each of the last two seasons. So they've kind of maybe come close to winning a bet that people were wondering why they were doing the fifth year option and all that, but he does look good. He just got to be out there the whole season. And, and that's a question. What do you got? Can they stay near the top of the NFL with a couple moving parts on the back end and being one year older? That's it. This is my favorite defense in the league. As I sit back and think about it, and I keep going back to the show we did earlier this spring about the defensive trends throughout the NFL, and I think both of mine came from watching the Saints defense. (laughs) I just love watching them. I love the style that they play with. They were number one in the league last year in rushing success rate allowed. If you look at what they do on the back end, it's so varied. They're 10th in man coverage rate on third down. They play a ton of different coverages. The players that they had back there, they could really do anything. And that's my biggest question about the personnel on the back end now. Can they maintain that flexibility with some of these changes? C.J. Gardner-Johnson was so beautiful in this defense because you just put him over slot receivers and he muscles the shit out of them. And it really is one of those tone-setting things this team could do. And Malcolm Jenkins could cover tight ends. You had Marcus Williams as the center fielder back there. Marcus Lattimore is a great man corner. That ability to just flip the man switch and really dominate people, I think is so was so important to who they were over the last couple seasons. Can you do that now with some of the tweaks? With Marcus May now in the in the mix, with Tyron Matthew there, with P.J. Williams now getting a bigger role potentially in the slot, how they ultimately end up deploying their corners with Roby Lattimore and Paul Sonodibo there. They have a lot of good players back there, but the pieces to me just fit so well together last year and over the last couple seasons. How do they ultimately fit with this new group? It could absolutely work out, but I do think it's a question. Yeah, and I like some of those pieces you mentioned individually. You know, Tyron Matthew, we've loved for years. Marcus May, that's fine. It was an interesting trade, wasn't it? I mean, and sometimes you have to do something because of the money dynamics or the player with the contract in the future and all of that. But I don't think that was a trade that everybody was saw coming. And the other, I totally, but the, they're not going to be able to resign him. And eventually, right. the, the bill. But hey, you're all in for this, for this one year. But you're yeah. all in for this one year, right? And that's the one spot where I think they probably looked at the roster and said, we can get yeah. something for yeah. him. And we have so yeah. many guys here. But the roles yeah. and what those roles ultimately look like, I'm, I'm going to be watching pretty closely. Yeah. And the last thing is, they have old players on that side of the ball. And I know Saints fans get mad when I say this, but Cam Jordan's 33. Tamaro Davis is 33. They're both really good. Are they going to stay really good? Cam Jordan had 13 sacks last year. He only had 51 pressures despite having the fourth most pass rush snaps in the NFL last season. So he's still a good player. He's still a very good player. 
but those guys are probably on the back half of their careers. And you know, if one of those guys gets hurt, you know, do they have a ton of edge depth? Not really. So I feel like the defense in a really in a perfect world is still arguably the best defense in the NFL. But if one or two things kind of go the wrong way, what does it look like on that side? All right. What does a successful season look like for the Saints? I think making the playoffs. Yeah, that's what I have to. Yeah. Then they I don't know I'd be celebrating. Great, I made the playoffs. But yeah. So that's really all I got. I, I think if they make the playoffs, that's what they were trying to do this year. And we, we talked about it before. Where does that leave you? Uh, what the what's next is the question that I would ask. But again, yeah. that's a it's a problem for future Mickey Loomis. <laughs> the guy you're most excited to watch in the Saints this year. Uh, Chris Olave, you know, uh, we talked a lot about him on the podcast with Randy Mueller. He was very high on him. It was Randy's number one receiver, uh, on the football GM podcast and just a, a pro ready player who can get deep, big playability. Uh, Jameis Winston's got an arm, you know, he'll be able to get it to him. Uh, and what if he's really good? What if he's really good right out of the gates? And we talked about, you know, Hey, Michael Thomas is back, but what if there's a new number one receiver? This role is perfect for him. I loved the idea of him as like a 1B receiver that paired with somebody that has a complementary skill set. And that's exactly what this is with him and Michael Thomas. He's a downfield threat. He's a vertical threat, but he's really refined as a route runner. You're just going to be able to use him in this specific way early on that I think accentuates where he's good. So I cannot wait to watch him this year. All right, let's move on. Carolina Panthers. I don't even know where to start with this. What's the where? How are you feeling about the Carolina Panthers right now? Well, I'm way more interested in watching them after they got Baker Mayfield. Uh, I felt like this was uh, a ship in the final throes of a uh, of going down, and it was just a foregone conclusion that everything was like why are they, almost why were they doing this again? But I don't feel I, I don't feel the same way now. I feel like look, I don't feel like they're a contender, but they're in the NFC. Baker Mayfield. Uh, was good enough in his, after his first year of a starter in Cleveland that when I did my quarterback tiers project, there were I think he came in at the bottom of tier two. People weren't thinking he was going to be tier one, but he's somebody who now should have um, you know a little bit more, a lot to prove, and uh, has decent weapons. Offensive line's not terrible. Um, could be pretty good. So I'm more interested in watching them and just seeing if they can finish ahead of the Saints. Thinking about the Panthers makes me tired. I I don't know what to do with them. Like, I think the Panthers will probably be fine this year. They went from having a bottom three, bottom four, generously offensive line last year, maybe the worst group in the league, to one that we can probably forget about, which is a huge upgrade for them. They have four new starters along the offensive line, potentially, if Bradley Bozeman gets back healthy and reclaims that job as the starting center. They have Ike Iquano at left tackle, Braden Christensen playing left guard for them now, Bozeman at center, Austin Corbett at right guard. It's four new starters with the lone starter left over being Taylor Moten, who was the good one. This team finished dead last in offensive DVOA last season. Dead last. Like Sam Darnold has been the worst quarterback in the NFL in virtually every single conceivable category since he took over as a starter in 2018. You know when I did the when I did the quarterback betrayal index that showed like Drew Brees had great offense, terrible 
you know, terrible defense. He was the most betrayed quarterback. Like Darnold was at the exact opposite end where he's, he's been on these teams that were actually pretty good on defense and special teams. <laughs> Their offense was so bad. It was keeping him in the league. You know, the defense and special teams were keeping him in the league. So, you know, you could, you could certainly blame some of that on the Jets situation, which was one of the worst ever. They, they were the only team for a long time that didn't even have a single offensive pro bowler for like four or five years. But now we've kind of seen it again and, and it didn't go well. So that's why I'm more, much more interested in watching them. I think it's much more interesting with Baker Mayfield. I'm, the, I'm not tired of them. I'm anxious to see them. I think that their floor is just so much higher than it was with Sam Darnold. And that's yeah. good. Like raising your floor on offense is huge. And if your floor is now the 23rd best offense in the league instead of 32nd, that's a drastic improvement. But even if they're a little bit better this year, and even if they're competitive this year, it's just hard to feel good about the process that took them to this point. They traded away a third-round pick to go get Matt Corral, so they're already without their 23 third-round pick. They're over the 2023 cap, as things currently stand. They're paying Robbie Anderson $22 million next year. Do they even want Robbie Anderson on their team? I I don't know if they do. And who's going to be there to want him? You know, it's yes. going to be a different coach and all of that type of thing. So, yeah. That's kind of where I'm at is that even if you can yeah. be like, all right, they'll probably be fine this year. It's like, to what end? Like, where does this go? Yeah. And so much of that context informs how we feel about them, right? We were just, you know, we were just talking about uh, the Saints and that whole context of where they're at after the Breeze thing and the, you know, should you reset is much different. It's much more defining than just where are you at today if we didn't know anything else. And so that's a huge part of how you feel about Carolina is like, is that process, that bigger picture process, which obviously hasn't been good, hasn't gone um, as well as anybody would have hoped. And yet here they are sort of getting a lifeline with a different quarterback. So we don't have to watch another year of Sam Darnold doing what happened last year, which would be, we're talking about, is there a coaching change by the trade deadline? That's what people were talking about. When you're operating like they do, and you're throwing around resources the way that they are, and you don't have as much draft capital as other teams, and you're capped out, you're supposed to be better than this. Yep. Like, that's just where I'm at. You're supposed to be better than this when you're operating the way that they're operating. And I just don't think the ceiling is high enough for them to be doing things this way. They're over the 2023 cap right now without a quarterback. They don't have a quarterback under contract for next season. So the... I just think there are so many dead ends waiting for them around yeah. a lot of these corners is, is kind of where I'm at yeah. with them. And there was like, even though they upgraded the Mayfield, that wasn't like something part of a plan. That was just sort of fell into their laps. Uh, uh, his yeah, take you back to the Matt Corral trade. It, it, yeah. it wasn't part of any sort of plan. I don't think they have a plan. It's like the Joker from dark Knight, And when they catch it, I, I don't know if they know what they're going to do with it. Yeah, it's an interesting situation where you have a head coach and a GM not necessarily on the same time frame. The, the, the coach has definitely been very empowered. The owner is a factor to some unknown degree, but doesn't necessarily doesn't have a good track record, doesn't really have any track record. So I'm with you on that. That's how we feel about them, even though, you know, I think they're going to win more games than they were before they had Baker Mayfield. So let's go to the offense. What's the biggest question you have about the offense heading into the year? Yeah, can Ben McAdoo reinvent himself? You know, I, I think that that was another situation that felt like, uh, is this just who they could get, right? All due respect to Ben McAdoo, who has had success in the league. He's trying to – there weren't a lot of people – he wasn't on the hot candidate list. You know, and so some people are able to get a good opportunity and kind of revive themselves and come back and 
have success. And a lot of that is, you know, what's the organization you get to go to? What players do you get? Uh, and this was not seen as one of the favorable ones, you know, for him to be able to do that. So what is he? Who is he? Was he, uh, you know, I'm sure it was humbling the last couple of years to go from the top chair, right? And having been a, a hot candidate to um, this, but, you know, now he gets thrown in his lap a better quarterback than people thought he was going to have. What can he do with that? It's a, it's a question um, that's pivotal not only to them, but to him. He was out of the league for two years. Yeah. I mean, he's had a job on a staff one year since 2017. He was the Jags quarterbacks coach in 2020. He was a consultant for the Cowboys last year. So certainly not a hot candidate. But that's he's also my biggest question. It's just what version of Baker Mayfield can Ben McAdoo tease out? Is this going to be the bad Baker Mayfield that we've seen at times? Is it going to be the slightly better Baker Mayfield that we've seen at times? Baker Mayfield within a really structured offense can be fine. Over the past two years, he's eighth in the NFL in EPA per attempt with play action, 17th without it. So can they kind of keep hitting the easy buttons with Baker, or are they going to let him sit back there and operate in quick game like he's 2014 Eli Manning? Because I don't think that's the best answer here. No. No, it's not at all. Uh, and it's a huge question mark, right? I mean, if imagine if you had a team that was viewed as a contender, you know, and you suddenly dropped in Ben McAdoo, it's sort of become a, it's sort of been a, not that big of a storyline because so many other things are going on there, but this is a, <laughs> it's a pivotal season for Matt Rule. It's a pivotal season for Baker Mayfield. And by the way, Ben McAdoo is our offensive coordinator. And to go from Joe Brady, who was like the next hot thing to Ben McAdoo is one hell of a swing. It is, but we also, you know, we also, he gets another chance. You know, it wasn't like Ben McAdoo was just seen as a complete idiot five years ago. I mean, obviously the Giants situation made everybody think that. But what is the truth on Ben McAdoo? It's a great question. And I think it's going to be a question that ultimately defines the season for them. Yep. Yep. I'm also curious about the weapons. Like, what do they get out of Christian McCaffrey? Can Christian McCaffrey stay healthy? Uh, obviously a, a big question after the way the last couple of years have gone. What does the pass catching group ultimately look like? This team just traded for LaVisca Chenault this week. Terrace Marshall is still hurt and not playing. So I guess Rashard Higgins is their slot receiver. I don't know anything about who the receivers on this team are going to be and how who's going to get targets outside of DJ Moore, who I think is a very, very good player that's destination for the shadow realm like Allen Robinson. Absolutely, yeah. And it's not like Greg Olson's there to just pull it all together at tight end, you know. Um I'm with you. That's a there's a lot for a team that's this deep end of the situation. There's a lot of uncertainties and a lot of haphazardness to how we are here. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, stats, look at just looking at horrible Panther stats from last year. They have 44 plays of 20 plus yards. The best teams in the league have like 80. Only the Giants had fewer. They were dead last in EPA per play on throws of 20 plus air yards. They were one of only two teams who had negative EPA on deep attempts. Only two teams in the so, NFL. It was a bad thing when you threw the ball really, downfield, and the Panthers and if, were one of them. Yeah, and if you and that's really hard to do because in order that that eliminates all sacks and negative plays. Uh, yes. You know, you could have interceptions, but yes. but usually, you know, hey, on 
Patch EPA includes all the bad things that happen before the ball leaves your hand. We're talking about after you get to throw it 20 yards the down ball the field, is thrown. it's still bad. The ball leaves the, the ball quarterback's hand. I mean, and a bunch of those should be, hey, a guy's open. We're throwing to an open guy. There should be some huge EPA swingers there, or at least, you know, and, and but, but the fact that it's 20 yards, you're you're also eliminating anything from in the red zone where you don't get as much EPA because you're expected to score, right? So we're talking about chances to get EPA. In chances to in good chances to get EPA, they have negative EPA. It's remarkable. <laughs> that was my favorite stat that I found. It was like That's negative point one six. It they were so far away from league average. It was incredible. It makes All you right. want to call up those plays. I want to look at those plays. That's great. What's the biggest question you've got about the defense? Um. You know, how great was the defense anyway last season? So much of defense is who you play and all of that. They did beat up on some bad teams to really get that. I, I think there was probably some statistical, some statistical regression likely built in anyway. And then, you know, on top of that, how much are they going to miss Hassan Reddick, who leaves, um, leaves them this offseason, had a bunch of sacks for them, uh, you know, for a defense like, like I said, that maybe looked as good as it could on paper statistically last year and wasn't going to look that good this year anyway. Now you're maybe a little worse uh, there in a, in a key spot. Can they recapture some of that early season magic or was that a mirage? I think is my big question. And they get JC Horn back, hopefully for the full season. He was hurt last year. So is getting him back enough to offset losing a guy like Reddick? You know, CJ Henderson has apparently had a pretty good summer. I often forget that they traded for him in the middle of last year because it's hard to keep track of all the weird stuff this team does. What is the ceiling for them defensively? Some of the stuff they do is really creative. I mean, we talked about those blitz packages a lot early last season. I think that Phil Snow has really thrown some cool shit against the wall over the last couple of years. They have a intriguing mix of players, just like guys like Jeremy Chin and, and how what he can do is kind of a modern defensive player. We love Brian Burns. Shaq Thompson's been really good for them in stretches. But it all kind of brings me to this place where, all right, What's what's the best case scenario for the Panthers defense? Or like the most likely scenario? They finish 12th in defensive DVOA? That's just how I was going to say top half of the league. So 12th, 14th. And so they have the the 14th best defense and the the 19th or 20th best offense. And they, they win 9 games. And if you're the you owner You understand of why that, it just makes yeah. me tired? It's like what do we what yeah. do I do with this? Well, I don't yeah, let, put, what has to happen this season for you to be excited about them bringing back Matt Rule? For you to write a column or do a show that says the Panthers should bring back Matt Rule, what has to happen for you? Our producer, Bell, is laughing. I can see him right now laughing at the question because he I'm, thinks I think it's the so entire fabric of the universe has to change. He thinks it's like, so inconceivable that this could be a thing where Mays is hosting a podcast says, Damn it! Bring back Matt Rule. So I ask you, what would what would have to happen? I mean, are we talking championship game, Super Bowl, uh, winning season? Baker Mayfield looks like the guy. What boxes must be checked? You are really lost in thought. I have stumped the host of this. I I just think that so much about podcast. so much about the fabric of the universe would have to change <laughs> that I can't even conceive of it. I, they Baker Mayfield would have to look incredible because. 
This is the reason. No, if that happens, you'll want to promote McAdoo, Ben McAdoo. What do we have to do to have a promote Ben McAdoo to be the head coach? No, though? I will give I will give Matt Rule <laughs> credit for hiring Ben McAdoo in in that specific in that situation. Sense. Okay. If they if they look great on offense and you have all right, the offensive line is better. We have a functional quarterback, and whatever ecosystem we've built here with Ben McAdoo is worth betting on again. Then maybe I think you bring Matt Rule back, but. The processes here have just been so backward, in my opinion, well, that it's what if hard they to get, get on board. What if they get McCaffrey back, and then um, he does really well, and he's leading league in rushing, and they're competitive, and then Matt Rule keeps talking about how the key to winning is running the ball? Do you think that is a deal breaker for you? There's a lot of deal breakers for me that are on the table <laughs> here. What does a successful season look like for you? And the, I, um yeah, I think a successful season is a is a winning record, and we found something in Baker Mayfield, and we're not going to, you know, he's going to be part of our future. Don't you think? So you have to decide great? after the season whether or not you want to franchise Baker Mayfield or give him like a thirty-five million dollar year extension. I want him to decide that for us. It's possible that he could look good enough. It's unlikely that he's going to look so good, right? And just erase all those feelings we had the last couple of years. But I think a winning record would be. Uh, hear this: a successful season is. David Tepper has a decision to make. This decision that we're talking about that's making all of us, all, you guys, I'm not I'm not laughing. You guys are laughing. I'm smiling. You guys are laughing. Um, I want to be clear about this. Season. I think the Panthers are going to be fine. I think okay. they are going to be watchable and competent and often competitive. The question is for me is to what end? That's yeah, it. I, I got you. There's a bunch of teams like that in the middle, you know, especially when you're two, three years into a regime that you haven't liked. And you, you, almost no matter what happens, you know that you're like not buying it, right? That's where you almost are. To me, a so. successful season includes a wild card berth. If they don't make the playoffs, I'm not sure Matt Rule deserves another swing at this because they've yeah. taken a lot of bites at the apple resource wise for them yes. to go eight and nine or whatever it is and miss the yeah. playoffs again. Yes. Yep. Guy in the Panthers, you're most excited to watch this year. Okay, besides Christian McCaffrey, who is a wonderful player who we have not gotten to see enough of. I mean, I think that just needs to be said. He he was really special um, as a player. So I think he's an obvious one. But to me, a healthy Baker Mayfield was something to prove. Because even when he had something to prove with the Browns as the number one pick, he didn't know he had something to prove because he was the number one overall pick. And if he did bad, they just fire the coach, get him a new one, right? That's the way it is in the NFL. These guys come in, especially number one pick. They've They've got some money. And they know that it's not going to be their fault for a couple of years. But, you know, he got really disrespected with that exit. He got slapped to the curb in a way that it wasn't like, you know, he'd been suspended a bunch of times. It wasn't like when he was healthy, he was terrible. They could win. They went to the playoffs with Baker Mayfield. And he got no love for it. And even when he left, it wasn't like, I don't remember, were there a bunch of teammates and stuff saying, God, we miss Baker. I just haven't heard any of that for somebody who, yeah, he rubs you the wrong way. But, like, I thought that was a positive thing when he was coming out in the scouting process. You like a guy like that. So this is someone, like I said earlier, who people liked enough after his first season to push him in the bottom of Tier 2. And if you're in top two tiers, you're not looking to replace your starter usually. Tier 3, you get into the Kirk Cousins, the Garoppolo's, where you might like him and keep him, but you have one eye uh, on on somebody else. He was kind of on that fringe, and now he's just relegated. It was like he was relegated. He was relegated to the pack, but he was sent down to the minor leagues. And and here he is. What you got, Baker? What you going to do? With a decent offensive line, maybe? Some skills, certainly McCaffrey, DJ Moore. That's 
those two, if you get somebody else to come on and have a decent year, um, there's some potential here. So I can't wait to see what he does. I've said this a few different times, I think, on the show. And if not, I've definitely said it in conversation. I think there was a time 10 years ago when coaches around the league looked at quarterbacks. And if their assessment of that quarterback was, I can win with him, that was a compliment. It was, oh, this guy could definitely get us where we need to go. Now I think I can win with him is actually an insult. And I think that that viewpoint on quarterbacks is a way to take you down a pretty treacherous road. And I think that Baker Mayfield is a totally acceptable quarterback. I think he is a, I can win with him. And that brings you to some tough spots. Shoot. Chuck Knox was saying that 50 years ago. We got two types of quarterbacks, win with and win because of, you know, and you can win with Baker Mayfield. Can you win because of him? Probably not as much as you would like to. And that leads me again to the question of what, what does this mean? Where do you go? What is it? And with the Panthers, I do not know the answer to that. All right. Let's get to our last team here, Atlanta Falcons. We don't have to spend a ton of time on this. How are you feeling about the Falcons right now? You know, we're so big into telling these teams that they should be pressing the reset button. And obviously, we kind of think Atlanta probably could have done that a little earlier um, than they did. Here they are. I mean, uh, I think Austin Mock, who does the odds for us, has a 1.6% chance to win the division. How How is there even that? How is it 1.6%? I don't see how they <laughs> Desmond can do Ritter it. So, season. So to me, yeah, to me, a successful season is that, you know, they win a few games. They're not just like a 2-15 and 15 team. I think that goes without saying. And the next thing is that they, Desmond Ritter plays at a certain point in the season, and I like what I see, which I we did kind of in the preseason. So I would love to see that. I'd love to see at least six games of um, – at least six games of him and feel good about him and feel like, you know what? They did it. They didn't take a quarterback in the top 10. Like, I would love to see that for them, to feel as good about him as Pittsburgh feels about Kenny Pickett by the end of the season and have the evidence to point to on the field. That would be awesome. I'm feeling that the Falcons probably just want to get to the end of this thing with a few more answers than they have right now. And Ritter is the biggest one. That was the biggest question I had about their offense. When will we see Desmond Ritter? And will we see enough of him to properly assess if he can be their guy moving forward? Because six games, Mike, I think puts them into some dicey territory. I think this team is going to be very bad. I think they have a chance to be the worst team in the league. So if you had Desmond Ritter for six games and Desmond Ritter looked... I don't know, pretty good. You're you're excited about the way that he played, but you have the number one pick and CJ Stroud and Bryce Young are sitting there with the number one pick. Then what do you do? It's a great question. It's sort of the it's it's sort of like the Davis Mills question, right? Like he came into a really bad Houston team and people were like, Oh, I kinda like Davis Mills. But some of that was like, I like him compared to what I was expecting, right? I mean, and that's what you could be in this situation. Oh, I kinda like Ritter. But do I like him enough to – I think that's not a hard decision to make if um, if you feel good enough about the person in the draft. If you feel like there's a real special person there. Because let's face it, are we are we afraid of offending Desmond Ritter? No, he can be a, he can be a part of the team too. It's the benefit it's of like, drafting him in the third round. You can do whatever yeah, you want. So that's an easy one to me because like if Ritter comes in and is just amazing for six games, then, then we can have that discussion. Uh, but I don't think we're expecting amazing. We just want to see like, oh, hey, yeah, this guy looks like he could be a good starter. 
Their bye week in week 14, you could get four games if you did it then. You'd be switching after they play Pittsburgh, and you'd guess what? His first game would be at New Orleans. His second game would be at Baltimore. No, we can't do that to Desmond. And then home Cardinals, and then home Bucks. Is that what you want for uh, young Desmond? All right, so they have a Thursday night game. <laughs> they, play the, they play the Panthers on Thursday night. It's beautiful. It's just, just so perfect. So they play the Panthers on Thursday night in week 10. That's a mini buy. You have seven games after that. So that is potentially a time where you could just unleash him. I want to see like 10 games. If you think he can play, if you think that he is good enough at any stage over the first month and a half of the season to put him in and properly evaluate the other players you have on your offense, why wouldn't he play? Well, here's the other thing. This will solve itself. Is Marcus Mariota going to, A, be healthy for a whole season, and B, be good enough while he's in there that you want to keep looking at more games of him? And how good can with this how good team around possibly him? be? With like, the team he, around him, nothing, I'm, not, I'm not slamming him too much, I'm, I'm at, but I'm saying, look, there's some Mariota fatigue, right? You don't want to... You don't want to. You don't want to see fourteen games of him, do you? What does that do? It does nothing, and that's my thing. Is what does Marcus Mariota being out there do for you? It's not like the choice between Desmond Ritter and Marcus Mariota is you potentially forfeiting your place in the wild card race. I don't think this team is at that stage. God, they play some defenses. Man, they they got Tampa. They got the Forty ers They got the it's, Bengals. They it got is Carolina, really not any more good. complicated to me than all right. What do we see from Desmond Ritter? And then two more questions on offense. How good are Kyle Pitts and Drake London? By the end of the year, are we just going to be sitting there and be like, man, like these two guys moving forward. And that is what they want. When they when you draft two pass catchers in the top 10, you better say that by the end of their first season together. And the third one is, are we going to be at a place? We've made this joke about the Colts earlier on another show we were doing, but I can run it back here about the Falcons. Are we going to be at a place where in week seven, the Falcons jump on somebody with Ritter playing quarterback. They drop 30 points on some defense that we didn't expect them to. And Nate and I are like, man, the Falcons are doing some wild shit with Arthur Smith. And we are just totally on board with the offensive infrastructure of this franchise when they get better players in the building. That, to me, is wow. another box that I want to check. I firmly believe we might get there because I think Arthur Smith is really good at this, but I want to be able to say that by season end with this team. I do think that Arthur Smith also has a welcoming environment for a young quarterback to step into, or any quarterback. So That's what they're I'm doing. With, That's with what they're trying that. to do. Yeah, yeah. It's just a matter of can you have enough success to buy yourself enough time for what really is a large-scale roster rebuild. Uh, this, is, this is one of the hard ones. There are no players in this team, Mike, outside of yeah. some of the guys that they've drafted. Their offensive line, they brought in Chumi Adoga for the Jets. He could start for them at right tackle. I think they're out on Caleb McGarry. Drew Dahlman is somebody they drafted in the fourth round last year. I think that he's in the mix to potentially start at center for them. Outside of like three or four positions on this team, I don't think anyone's starting spot is locked down for the long term. Oh, it's just, isn't it just a tough situation? You knew they were going to have to do it, though. They were going to have to take one in the teeth at some point, and that's what this is. This is where the Saints are going. See, but but the Saints were not in the same situation because they have a good roster. They have they have a much better roster. You know, the Falcons had to do this because they were a bad roster that was leveraged. So here they are. I mean, you got guys. I mean, hopefully by the end of this season, you feel good about Arnold Epichetti and Drew and Troy Anderson and maybe Richie Grant from last year's draft class. 
But other than that, I don't think there are a lot of other things you need to see from this team for this season to be considered a success outside of, holy shit, Kyle Pitts and Drake London are good, and maybe Desmond Ritter is a quarterback worth betting on. Yep. All right. Guy you're most excited to watch on the Falcons this year? Uh, probably Drake London, just in, in combination with Kyle Pitts. You know, I think you need to, and, you know, they thought they were going to have that with Calvin Ridley, and they don't. So uh, Drake London was somebody I questioned a little bit of the idea. You know, I think sometimes some of the mistakes that have been made at wide receiver have been uh, when you're taking them in the top 10, but not in the top three. You sort of you sort of settle sometimes for guys who are missing something. Uh, there's been a lot of misses kind of in that 7 to 10 range over the years. And in this case, Drake London, you know, didn't have the, the speed that you sometimes want to have at that position. But I do think he's a good player. And I think seeing him in in combination with Pitts gives me something to watch. Right? What else? What else would we be looking for? That's all you got, man. <laughs> that's all we got. I am very excited to watch Kyle Pitts. I know that's not an original thought. I think he is like a truly special talent. I cannot wait to see what Kyle Pitts turns into over the next few years. Yeah. I just think he's going to be a receiver on this team. I think they're going to put him out there as their best outside receiver. He is going to be a 6'6 pterodactyl playing receiver in the NFL. And I am very excited about what that ultimately turns into. And he, and he was pretty darn good coming right in. I mean, he was pretty yes. darn good right out of the gates. Like in his first few games, you were like, oh, wow. So here he is. He gets a whole off season. He's been in a pro strength program. You know, all of that. I bet, I bet you're right. When I watched Kyle Pitts' tape at Florida, when we were preparing to do those draft podcasts last spring, my face melted off. It's like, this guy <laughs> is out of this world good. And that's why I totally understood them just picking him at four and like, we'll figure this out later. We're going to build as much as we can around the quarterback that we will eventually bring into this situation. But we're going to start doing that by just picking good players. And they started that with Cal Pitts and hopefully they'll continue that with Drake London and we'll see where it goes. That's all we got. Mike Sando. Thank you very much for the time, my friend. It's always fun to do this with you. Thank you, Robert. It was fun. Here it was the NFC South, and I was thinking, you know, some of these teams are like, oh, Carolina. But I had a great time. I think we we had a good conversation and learned a couple things, and hopefully everybody, everybody else did too. I don't think I'm very good at this. I will say that moments like this when we're doing the back half of the NFC South pod is where I get tested the most. It's where I really have to prove my mettle as an NFL podcast host. The AFC South is looming later this week, so that'll be another one of those moments where I, I got to bring it. Can we see the back half metrics of this podcast if anybody dropped off? I think we held them all. I think we held them the whole time. So I, I promise you that will not be the case, so don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. All right. One more thing. I wanted to remind everyone that this season, you will be back with the football GM with you and Randy Mueller. Tell the people about what the plan is here moving forward throughout the year. Absolutely. We had a great conversation uh, with our wonderful producer here, uh, Beller, Michael Beller, being part of that. And uh, we affirm that we're coming back. Me, Randy Mueller, I think we start in week one and we are going to be part of the main feed this year. I didn't pay particular attention to what feed we were part of this or that, but some people <laughs> did wonder, hey, where are you guys? And I would have to say, well, we're on this or that plus this or that. You need a subscription. You will not need a special subscription to, to hear Randy and I this year. So we'll have a, a bigger audience. Randy Mueller's a former NFL executive of the year, 35-year uh, evaluator in the league, a team builder, really has good takes and perspectives on how to build a team, not just personnel, but his personnel stuff is great too. Like when we were going through the draft, he's like, 
Isaiah Likely is my top tight end in the draft, like while we're going through it. Things like that that I pencil down and then they start to come true. I love that about Randy. And uh, so he'll have, he has great takes on stuff. We've known each other for 25 years. He was with the Seahawks when I was there. Um, so we have a good rapport and really looking forward to, to bringing in a new audience. I'm excited for you guys to be on the main feed. I can't wait for people to check that out and find the show. Uh, really, really pumped about the overall lineup that we have coming to you guys. We'll be announcing the whole thing next week. I'm really, really looking forward to that moment. I cannot wait for you guys to hear and see what we've got in store. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. If you like the show, please let us know. Now is the time to do it. Please subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash football show is where you can read all of Mike's written work as well as all of the great NFL staff that we have over at The Athletic. We will be back tomorrow with Mina Kimes. We're going to be doing the AFC North. Really excited about that. Always good to chat with Mina. For now, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.